know, at the end of each show, I ask a thought experiment, right? If you're new to the show, here's, here's the question. You're building your dream school. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitation is your imagination. How would you build your dream school? What would be your three guiding principles? And so I love this thought experiment because it asks ruckus makers to dream big, to dream without limitation. Because, yeah, maybe it's unrealistic to build that school, But what if you could take some of those components and actually make it a reality? That's the beauty of the question. Plus, it's really interesting to talk to high-level educators and people outside our industry to see how they would go about the business of building a school. Well, today, one of my favorite ruckus makers in the world, Dr. Amy Platt, joins me on the show because she did this. Her dream was to add a middle school component to her K-6 through building, and she's here to unpack what it was like to build that school? What was the vision that drove the energy behind it, the stories she had to tell, the relationships she had to build to make it an easy win for the community? So sit back and relax. You're here to get super duper inspired (laughs) on today's show, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers. Those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after some messages from our show sponsors. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's Certificate in School Management and Leadership. Learn from Harvard Business and Education School faculty while you collaborate with a global network of fellow school leaders. Programs run October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by Friday, September 30th for our upcoming cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Well, I am joined by one of my favorite ruckus makers of all time, Dr. Amy Platt, who we'll we'll talk about her uh, building, like literally building her dream school and uh, um, a bunch of other interesting things that I think you'll find useful and helpful and inspiring. But Dr. Amy Platt is delighted to be the head of the school at Paul Penna Downtown Jewish Day School. Amy is passionate about excellent instruction and working with teachers to be the talented professionals they are destined to be. Amy holds a PhD and a master's from the University of Toronto. And when Amy is not at work, she can be found on long-distance bike rides, pondering the larger issues facing education. Amy, welcome to the show. Welcome. It's so nice to be here, Danny. We've rescheduled this a few times, so it's uh, it's great to finally make it work. 
my friend JB says you can't make up real life, right? So I think that's happened, <laughs> but here we are, and we're going to record something wonderful for the Ruckus Maker listening. So uh, since we're talking about recording, and you let me know, I didn't know this um, in between rescheduling, uh, I guess you have started a podcast for Paul Penna. So tell us about, I guess, the, the why of starting the podcast, and how's that journey going for you? The podcast is great. Um, You know, the podcast has been something I've been thinking about for a long time, uh, probably inspired by you and the mastermind. I remember many years ago, one of our fellow ruckus makers, Demetrius, talking about a podcast that he had at his school as a way to really help tell the story of the school. And So what we're going to talk about today is the building of the new middle school. And one of the things we've thought a lot about this year is what are all of the stories of the middle school and how do we tell them in different ways? So we spent some time at the beginning of the year thinking about what were our main messages that we wanted to make sure we got out to our school community to help them understand what the middle school was about and what retention could look like through grade eight what it looked like to share with the the greater downtown community, kids who might be interested in joining the school so that they could be on this pathway to graduate from grade eight. And then the larger community of donors and people who wanted to help support our mission to make sure that we had the funds to do this all in a really valuable way. And a podcast seemed like a great way to tell the story. And so at the same time, uh, we have a wonderful young communications coordinator And her background is a radio and television degree, and she knows lots about radio and podcasting. So she had been wanting to do some podcasting. And one of our board members and, uh, you know, probably the chief champion of the middle school, so much of his business revolves around podcasting. He's really become a, a niche podcaster and sort of a business sector. And so when all that came together, um, we launched the Paul Pennup podcast this fall. Uh, we dropped episodes generally every two weeks. We've created a content calendar for the year aligned with different holidays, events at the school, key enrollment points, things that are important and helpful. The episodes are all under 22 minutes. And if you listen to them at one and a half times, they're like really bite-sized and easy to listen to on a subway ride or a dog walk or just around. And it's just been a great way to have conversations with different people in the community, highlight teachers, students, um, our Israeli emissaries. It's just been a really, it's been a really, really great and successful experience for us. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hit subscribe once we uh, stop recording here. So I can't, I can't wait for that. I don't want this to turn into a podcast about podcasting, but I do have one one more follow-up question. (laughs) But one one more follow-up question, which just would be, so uh, it, the voice of the podcast is, is that you? Do you bring in faculty? Do you bring in students? And then the, the follow-up question to that would be for the ruckus maker listening who hears you, okay, this is a way to tell my community story because everybody's telling a story, right? And if it's not yeah. you architecting it, then it's it's somebody else. And so maybe what's been the, the biggest challenge you didn't uh, predict in terms of getting a podcast off the ground? So the voice of the podcast is me and so Jay, who's our board champion, he's sort of the the narrator. He's the okay. um, whatever the moderator of the podcast. Sure. And I'm all, I'm 
almost always there with him. And then we invite different people to be with us to tell the story we're looking to tell. So every podcast has some guests. So we've had students, new students to the school. One podcast, we highlighted a great math project that the grade six students had done. So we had the math teacher and two grade six students. The We're recording this in early May. The last podcast we dropped um, connected to... Israeli Independence Day. And we have two young Israelis who spend a year serving in the school. So they, along with a teacher and the vice principal, were guests on the podcast. The next podcast we'll drop will be about our school musical. So it was the musical director who was the guest on the podcast. So that's sort of how we're organizing it right now. But I'm almost always there to make sure that I'm sort of weaving together the information. And then we're bringing in special people to share little pieces of the story of the school. Gotcha. I guess my advice about building a podcast would be make a plan. So it feels like a good idea, um, but time quickly passes. And if you don't know what it is you want to do and who you want to bring and you don't have content ready to go, um, every two weeks will come and go very quickly. So what I love about what we've done is we don't just meet to podcast. We meet once a month to say, okay, what is the plan for the podcast for the next six weeks? So we're now planned out from now until the end of June. We'll break for the summer and then we'll come back again in early September. But we have a plan. We have somebody whose professional role it is to produce the podcast. And that that involves making sure we have the guests, creating the questions, prepping the questions. And so it's not just something you can do. You really need to prepare for it. So that's what I didn't expect was the time it would take to prepare the podcast. Yeah, a lot of design and intentionality. And getting that runway is an important piece, right? Like yeah. you said, we're recording in May, but this show doesn't drop until September. And I love that because it allows me then to focus on you know other projects in the business of running BLBS. So all right, cool. I really appreciate that. And I, w- I will just say this last thing about podcasting too. It, it can change your life. You know, Amy, I found out three weeks ago that Better Leaders, Better Schools is a top 0.5% podcast globally, right? Almost out of 3 million shows. And that school leadership series, that one's uh, nothing to laugh at either. That's a top 3% show. So I just wanted to celebrate, you know, those two recent wins I found out about regarding the shows. So cool. All right. And now let's talk about designing this school. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So Paul Penna, you know, had mostly like an an elementary, um, you could tell us the the grade levels that it spanned, but you wanted to add a middle school component, you know, to it. Right. And, and tell us maybe your, like, what was the why behind that? So Paul Penna, has almost always been a K-6 school. It's important to know as part of this story, really, because in some ways it was an emotional obstacle for people to overcome, that there were three or four years in and around maybe 2008 to 2012 that Paul Penna had tried a middle school before. And it had a really um, emotional impact on the community when that closed. And so for me to show up in 2017 and start talking about a middle school again was hard for a lot of people to understand. People who are part of the Palpena DJDS community love it. They choose the school because it 
speaks to them and their values. They love its location in the city. They love the urban feel. They love the intentionality of the values. They love what it stands for and they love how it prepares their kids when they leave. But they also love that it ended at grade six and they had these options for middle school. My why was really clear. I believe that a K-8 elementary experience is an optimal experience. There's definitely research to support that. I believe that kids don't need additional transition in their school life at a time in their development that is so tumultuous. And that in order for kids to really learn to be leaders, it helps them to be in a place for middle school where they've grown up, they know people, people know them, and they can really aspire to leadership roles, as opposed to starting in a new school in grade six or grade seven, having to really establish themselves, make new friends, get to know teachers. And before they know it, it's time for high school and they've missed that beautiful soft spot of middle school leadership. Also, in the context of this community, I really wanted to help prepare kids for high school, whether or not that was our local Jewish high school or independent schools or the wonderful public schools we have. I felt that we would be, we would better serve our community by doing the work of preparing kids for high school on our own. And that in terms of living our values, being able to live our values through those identity solidifying years of the early teen years were important and that we couldn't do the work we really needed to do when we graduated kids at the end of grade six. We needed a little bit more runway to do some really important work around values-based education. So for me, the why was super, super clear. What was less clear was the path to get to a decision to open the school. And that that was really the work of my first four years. Gotcha. Well, here you are, you know, building it now. So t- talk to me about intentionally creating school life. So we, we did a lot of work to make the decision to open the middle school and that took about 18 months. And in doing that, we had to articulate vision over and over and over again. And a piece of that vision that we had to articulate was about school life. And so you know, this is this is being recorded in May at the end of the first year of grade seven. It will launch in uh, September, our first year of, of an inaugural new graduating class. And these kids have had a wonderful school life. The middle school is small, but not too small. It lives in its own satellite space about a block and a half away from the main school. And so that space in and of itself creates some elements of school life. The kids are there. They're sort of in this encapsulated middle school. They come back to the main school uh, for gym. They come back to the main school to use the chapel. And we're just starting at the end of spring 2022 bringing the kids back together with elementary kids for assemblies. Uh, We're doing a, you know, a field day, those kinds of things that will now come back together. But building school life has been about thinking carefully about which teachers we brought into the school and what was the energy we wanted from the teaching faculty and what was their expertise both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. And so some of the key pieces of school life have been social action projects connected to our student council and how do we find people who have strong value sets around repairing the world and helping our community. Mm. Our school musical has been a huge piece of school life. So this is something we had tried to launch with our grade six class in 2020. And of course, 
there was no spring musical in 2020. And we've gone back to that. So having all of the middle school involved in this musical, performing it on a stage on June 1st, all of those things are just amazing and have been a key piece of school life. And then the third piece has been, how do we get the kids out of the building? And one of the things we've talked about as a administrative team and a, and a faculty and something I, I think is scalable or transferable to other ruckus makers far beyond my community is this idea of breaking the cadence. And so again, like thinking back to planning the podcast, we've planned the school year to say, how does each week break the cadence? And so we've thought about what do field trips look like? And we partnered with a local environmental organization to take the middle school kids on three full day uh, local outdoor outings Um, in our local parks, our local ravines, Toronto's a home of an amazing park called High Park. People can look it up. We took them on a winter day. They were cold, but they came back and to hot chocolate and we're happy. And now we are going to take the kids at the end, uh, beginning of June for an end of year trip to Ottawa, Canada. And so just thinking about how do we get outside? How do we continue to see the world? But how do we break the cadence? And what does that mean? So on this day that we're recording, the kids are on a walking tour of a neighborhood near our school. If I think to what about next week, there's a student council event that will break the cadence. We brought interest-based clubs into school that broke the cadence because every week, not every week, but on certain weeks, they'd have, you know, an hour and a half dedicated to interest-based clubs in mixed groupings. So just breaking the cadence. And then there were weeks where we said breaking the cadence is actually doing nothing. Middle school has been so busy Hmm. that just a week of full classes with no interruption suddenly felt like a break in the cadence. So I think that's what we've done to really build school life. You're breaking your own cadence at that point. I love that example, too, because it, it illustrates like what a powerful guiding or propelling question and how it can set the constraints for the type of school experience, you know, that you want to create. And you illustrated that through a number of examples. So that, that, that was really helpful. I appreciate that. It also connects to developing a unique culture. And is there anything you'd like to add in terms of what does it mean to develop that unique culture? I think the culture of the school is twofold. And, you know, there's the faculty culture and then the student culture. And I think one of the things that has been so interesting in developing a unique school uh, student culture is this idea that when we get to middle school, we are actively recruiting new students. And so we love that we have full kindergarten classes and very high retention, but it's natural for there to be some attrition in a private school. And so when we get into grade, you know, four, five, six, we're actively looking for new students to bring into their school. We talk about Hebrew language not being a barrier. The kids spend an hour and a half a day in Hebrew language instruction, but we've upstaffed our Hebrew teachers so that there are extra Hebrew teachers around to help students new to the school who are beginners at Hebrew language learn, catch up, and be able to keep pace with their class. But I think what we've done is shaken up the social setting. So Paul Penna is a small school. It is a one class per grade. Right now we're bringing in kindergarten classes at 25. Uh, Next year's grade six class will be 25. And so we're, we're a big small school, but a small school nonetheless. And when we bring in new school, new students, 
we shake up that social dynamic. And I think that creates a really unique student culture. I think the other thing that makes the school super unique is our downtown location. And so, you know, we're located at a key intersection in the middle of a very big city. Um, Our podcast is called Corner of Spadina and Bloor because we're so defined by our location and space. And, you know, I can imagine that ruckus makers listening from other big cities can picture busy downtown intersections and Mm -hmm. imagine a school there. So the school is located in the um, school wing of a community center The middle school is located a block and a half away in the second story of a retail building. Um, The kids in the main school have most recesses on the roof of the building (laughs) and daily they play on a university field. So we're located right in the heart of um, the University of Toronto campus. Our middle school kids have what we call off-campus lunch once or twice a week, where instead of eating lunch in their classroom, they go out, they have to stay in partners, they have boundaries, but they've got 50 minutes to go and explore Bloor Street, which is a eclectic street of food. They come back with pizza and donuts and (laughs) shawarma and all sorts of food. And so that also makes the school super unique and it builds independence. Um, My daughter is currently a fifth grader in this school. She'll go into sixth grade next year. And our friends marvel that she takes public transit home from school with her friends. So she's not on a school bus. You know, most days she's not picked up by a parent, caregiver, or grandparent, but she and two or three friends run out the door, they run into 7-Eleven, they grab a snack, they walk to the subway station, and they take the bus home from school. And that's what makes this culture so, so unique. And that's why one of our values, we talk about seven values, but one of our seven values is place because we're so defined by our place in the world. Yeah, that corner. Cool. Um, (laughs) I'm really enjoying our conversation regarding, you know, building this dream school and adding the middle school component to it. We're going to pause here just for a quick message from our sponsors. When we get back, I want to talk about rigor and with building this uh, dream school, how that relates to uh, the academic experience of your students. Take the next step in your professional development with Harvard's online certificate in school management and leadership. Learn from Harvard faculty without leaving your home. Grow your network with fellow school leaders from around the world as you collaborate in case studies of leaders in education and business. Programs run October 12th to November 9th, 2022. Apply by Friday, September 30th for our upcoming cohort at betterleadersbetterschools.com slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. 
During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Dr. Amy Platt, and she is building her dream school. Paul Penno was a K-6, now they added a 7th, and next year we'll have the 8th grade component, so congrats on that, Amy. Let's let's talk rigor and the academic component of your school and how you go about thinking about it. Uh, one thing I, I consider, too, and this, this might not be true in your staff, but I know often when leaders want to break the cadence, so to speak, those were your words, right? Uh, sometimes staff members are like, oh, I've got so much to do, so much to cover. And, you know, they, they, they start wrestling with that because it's challenging the way they view education. So I'm, I'm curious how the staff responded, but also how you integrate rigor into the academic experience at Paul Pennant. So rigor is so key. And in the last five years, rigor has been really something I have been incredibly focused on from kindergarten through grade eight. Um, we've talked about rigor with our staff. And when we thought about what were the key messages about this middle school that were so important for the world to know, high school preparedness was one of them. And you can't be ready for high school without rigor. So we identified a few different ways that we could make sure that the middle school remained rigorous and prepared kids for high school. And one of the key places has been in math. And so we've looked at our math curriculum starting from kindergarten in numeracy in particular and said, how can we push that curriculum? We don't want to advance the whole math curriculum, but for lots of reasons in Ontario, advancing the numeracy curriculum was important. The leap from grade eight to grade nine math in Ontario is a really big leap. There's an unspoken curriculum. It's not written in the grade eight curriculum. It's not written in the grade nine curriculum. And there's just sort of this assumption that kids will come into grade nine with a set of math skills ready to go. And so we've identified what those skills are and we've backed up. So our goal is that when we get in to grade eight next year or this year, this when this drops, our grade eights will finish their grade eight math year learning the first numeracy curriculum of grade nine. So we've intentionally said we want to pre-teach some grade nine. We want to create a rigorous math experience. We want the kids to feel really confident and be really competent when they go into high school math. We know that that is a place that helps kids define their own academic ability is how they're doing in math and we want to build up their confidence. The other thing we've been able to do is partner with a local credit granting organization. And so our grade eight students this year are taking grade 10 history as an after-school course so that when they graduate from Palpena, they'll already have one high school credit. This will allow them perhaps to take a spare when they're in grade 10, but more likely it will allow them to take additional electives. And so they'll have grade 10 history under their belt and they'll be able to use that space in their schedule. The other thing we're doing with that course is that 
were, were able to work with the credit grantor and some curriculum that they've developed to add in additional Jewish content. So that for our kids for whom grade eight will be the end of their formal Jewish education, they will get some Canadian Jewish history as part of that grade 10 history credit that they otherwise wouldn't get. And we feel like we're just giving them a little bit more knowledge to go out into the world with. So that feels exciting. But knowing that most of our grade eights are going to be taking grade 10 history um, as an after school program through the school, it's really pushed us to say, what do we need to do with our social studies to make sure that the kids have the skills that they need to engage in that kind of learning at that level? And so that has also pushed us in terms of rigor. And that in, with our language program, um, English, Hebrew, and math, but in particular, sorry, English, Hebrew, and French, but in particular Hebrew, knowing that some of our kids are going to go on to our Hebrew high school has really pushed us to say, how do we make sure that they're ready to be in classes with kids from other um, Hebrew elementary schools throughout our city and that they show up well and proud and confident and competent with their Hebrew school skills. So we've looked carefully at our Hebrew program and we're really thinking again from kindergarten through grade eight, what's that scope of learning to make sure that our kids are really ready? Right. Was there any sort of staff resistance or obstacles that you had to, to overcome when it, when it comes to this uh, focus on rigor? There's definitely not resistance around a focus on rigor. The teachers are excited to teach a rigorous curriculum and they're really well supported. We have, we have a lot of staff. There's a lot of resource support. So um, there's, there's other teachers there to help the kids who might need additional support and really allow the classroom teacher to focus on the whole class and enriching the experience for those who need an enriched experience. I would say that where sometimes faculty get concerned is this idea of, I have a big curriculum. How am I possibly Mm -hmm. going to cover it all, especially when we're pulling periods for field trips or for guest speakers or for the play? But I think that what the teachers have found is that when we break the cadence and we keep the kids engaged and excited and happy, their ability to keep pace with their curriculum and maybe even move faster um, is there so that the kids, the kids are engaged and happy in their learning. They know that they sometimes have less time because all of these great things are happening with respect to school life. And so it keeps them moving quickly. It keeps them on their toes and it keeps them really engaged with their learning. So, so far what we're seeing is we're able to complete our curriculum Um, And there's been places where we've trimmed our curriculum, Mm -hmm. where we've said, you know what, they don't need that, Um, mostly in the area of social studies. We've been able to say, what are the basic social studies skills? What is the key information that the kids need um, to make sure that they're successful in being social studies learners? And then we've taken some of that learning time to create some other value-specific curriculum, especially around Israel. And so that's been exciting for the kids to understand and get to know, um, and it keeps them engaged. Beautiful. You've obviously experienced a a ton of success, and next year will be the eighth grade inaugural year. What does it mean for you to build on the success you've achieved? I'm just so excited to see what will happen when kids leave us and go to high school. I'm excited to see how prepared they are, 
how socially well adjusted and integrated they become, and then use those successes to tell our story into the future. I want to see a graduating grade eight class of, you know, 20 kids. And I hope that we can see that within the next three to five years. So for me, I'm just capturing the great stories and finding ways to put them out into the world. And I think that's how we're going to build on our success by doing what we do, continuing to do it really well and making sure that our current community and our prospective community know who we are and and what that looks like. And as we start to have kids who go into high school and university and feel deeply connected to Palpena, I think we'll be able to tell wonderful, wonderful stories about the influence that a Palpena education has on um, the young adults in our community. And for me, that's super exciting. It is. So Amy, you've been a mastermind member in the past. And I'd love if, if you don't mind just sharing a little bit about that experience. What did that mean to you? I loved my time in the mastermind. I um, I think really fondly to the Wednesday nights and I feel sad that I had to give it up. Uh, you know, it's funny to the ruckus makers out there who are also parents. Um, you think that it can never get busier than little kids, but you can actually outsource little kids and big kids need a lot more parental support. So for me, it just became too much the evenings the kids just needed me too much and I couldn't I couldn't be where I wanted to be but I do miss it and I I miss the people I miss my friends that I made in the mastermind and I I wonder how people's professional journeys are unfolding the mastermind was a professional sounding board for me often about this middle school project when I wasn't yet ready to go to my actual school community. And so I often would take the stories, the vision, the ideas, the challenges, and I would bounce them off the mastermind when it was my turn for hot seat. And I would get lots of great ideas that I was able to move forward with. The mastermind also created a situation in which I was reading professionally in an incredibly meaningful way. Danny, you pick excellent, excellent books and the arc of books that you would pick over any given year all fit together. So that was incredibly valuable to me was doing that reading, thinking about how that reading influenced my professional life and then discussing that reading with my, with you and my colleagues and seeing how those readings influenced other people. And then in some cases, bringing those readings back to my own faculty and saying, what does it look like for us to have our own reading group around this particular text or an excerpt from a text? Um, so that was really wonderful. And any forum where everyone in a group really thinks Brene Brown is terrific uh, is a group <laughs> I want to be in. So I, I just loved that it was a place where we could be vulnerable. We could talk about vulnerability. Mm. Uh, and I always felt like it was, it was a Brene vibe. And that always made me really professionally happy. Thank you. I'll wear the Brene vibe as a badge of honor, for sure. <laughs> you should. So you've been on the show before. You've answered uh, yeah. the, the questions I usually end with. So I've, I've created a, a different one for you. I, I think, Amy, that you are a highly effective leader. So I'd love uh, for you to consider, you know, what's something that you, Amy, might label as ordinary, but for yeah. other school leaders, it might absolutely be a game-changing idea. 
I think what I label as ordinary and for other people might be a game changing idea is the way to build really, to build really strong and authentic relationships. And as a school leader, I recognize that my stakeholder pool is many students, families, faculty, board members, community members, donors. And what I really strive to do is have authentic relationships as much as I can with as many people as I can. I'm very good at remembering people's names. And my husband always finds it amazing that I can pull names out of my head that will meet people on the street and that I remember their name. I know the name of every student in my school and their siblings. I know their parents' names. I know faculty members' names. I I remember Mm. names. And so that is a discrete superpower and it serves me well. But I think it is indicative of my ability to really know people and um, meet them where they are and get to know them in a deep and authentic way and love building relationships. And so I would encourage other school leaders to really think about what it means to have authentic relationships with many stakeholder groups. And that if we can start from a place of real relationship, uh, then there are so many things that we can achieve. Yeah, the name is the the start to that. I think it was Dale Carnegie who said the the sweetest sounding word in the entire English language is somebody's name, right? And I, back to Brene too, and you know, it's just it's about seeing and hearing people. You know, I know who you are. I recognize you. You're important to me, and that kind of thing. So, Amy, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast again of everything we discussed today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? I didn't expect this to be what I would say, but I think it would be break the cadence. So whether or not you're with faculty or students or even within your own family life, uh, what does it mean to break the cadence and how can that add value to your organization? Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.